The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, my name is Joe Polizzi, author of Corona Marketing, What Marketers Need to Do Now to Survive the Crisis, and you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Joe Polizzi, welcome back to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? Am I the first one that's on for a second time? Joe Polizzi, you are a very competitive person, and you are (laughs) probably the only person, the only author who will be the one and only member of the Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails Two-Timers Club. If there's more people in that club, it means this quarantine is going on much too long. So wouldn't I, that be something if you've been if you were doing this for two years? This yeah, this <laughs> how how long are you going to do this show, by the way? I'm just curious. Well, I'm glad you asked, Joe Polizzi. I'm going to keep doing this until I run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. <laughs> And I'm running which out one's of winning? I guess that's yeah, that's the question. Which one's going to win? I'm I'm running out of authors, so uh, yes, I, I won't continue on. At some point, I will stop doing this series. I will get a haircut and I will f- shave this beard off. But until then, I'm just marking the passage of time in this this weird era we are in. And I also want to send a special thanks to your wife Pam for allowing you to come back on so recently um, because she's probably starting to think, I don't, I don't like you talking to that brunette guy so much. I, what, well, what, he said, what, yeah, she, she was, she said, you were just on. I said, yeah, but I was not talking about the will to die. I'm on now talking about Corona marketing. And she said, you both got issues. Oh, oh yes. And now if she's just she discovering said, yes, that, yes, you're right. <laughs> we do. Yeah. She probably knew that about you probably even before you got married, but she's learning that about me. You know, there's a lot of people you hang out with that have issues. I mean, well, just two words, Robert Rose, but I digress. Uh, that's, that's very true. That's, that's very, <laughs> although I think between both of your shows, 
This is number five or six for me. I'm definitely, I might not be the number one, but I'm definitely top five. Well, so, let, me, let me put So a, she's getting to know you quite well because she's setting all the times <laughs> that's up. That's right. That's right. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I heard through the grapevine that you have a second edition of Epic Content Marketing coming out. Close. Content Inc. Oh. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry. You'd think I'd know these no, things but, being the host of the marketing. No, that, no, it's fine. You know, the fact that you, you know, I mean- you interviewed me on for Epic and now Content Inc. and Killing Marketing. And so, I mean, how would how could you know which one I'm doing a second edition on? But it was not an easy decision because I love Epic Content Marketing. It was sort of the first book uh, that I that really kicked off the whole content marketing thing for me. But I believe Content Inc. is a better book now because I really believe because of what we're going on with the whole economic crisis thing. I think that's the model that I would want entrepreneurs to follow. So I, you know, talked to McGraw Hill about it and we said, no, nope, let's do content Inc. And, and we, you know, consummated the deal and we're going to, you know, get that thing out first part of next year. Oh, wow. Well, like I like to say, there's a guy I know who has this podcast where he interviews authors of books and, uh, you know, that might be a good one for you to be on. So just, you know, just, uh, just put an idea in your head there and, that is a great Pam, yeah, I'm going to let Pam know right now. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? When I spoke to you recently, I think after we were recording, we talked about you were up in the air. And I remember saying now, um, the memory goes first, Mr. Polizzi, but I remember now saying that Content Inc. is a book that more people are going I – mean, are going to uh, gravitate around because I think they're still newer to understanding the idea of building an audience first, whereas it seems to be greater understanding now of what content marketing is. But this idea of companies building audiences who then tell them what they want is uh, still ripe for the picking. Well, yeah, it was uh, actually, as I was going out getting feedback, you had some wonderful feedback. A couple other people sent me emails and said, Joe, absolutely. It's a no brainer. Do content Inc. And you're, you're right. I think if I did Epic Content Marketing, it, it would be it'd be like, why the heck is he doing the same old, same old? Content Inc. is still a business model that most people have no idea that exists. Absolutely. And, uh, and it's it's my it's it's probably, you know, of course I love the book. I love all my books. They're all all children. <laughs> like your kids. And yes. <laughs> and I love the one I did with uh, Robert Rose, and I love the first book I did with Newt Barrett. But if you're going to ask me what my favorite book is from a marketing standpoint, it would be Content Inc. Because that that's the one when you're at a conference, somebody will come up with this book and said, God, this book saved my life. No, nobody ever talks about that with killing marketing. I mean, that's, you know, the, the well, title alone. Not yet. It's a very negative title. So. Yes. So uh, this uh, book on uh, Corona marketing, I, I appreciate you doing it. I appreciate the opportunity to sneak you back in the front of the line here and uh, authors in quarantine getting cocktails. I've read it. It's about a 45-page ebook. It's terrific. Um, I think it's a little expensive, but, you know. The- <laughs> yes. I should send you money to read it, I guess, is, is what you're saying. It's free. Rather than free. And people can download it at joepolizzi.com like I did because I got your newsletter and I saw that. So um, at any rate, before we go any further, though, I have to say that uh, I took your picture. You're toasting the listeners. Uh, people can see it at marketingbookcocktails.com. And you have on an orange uh, shirt. Of course, you always wear orange things. And it looks like you might have stolen it off the back of a Kentucky Derby uh, jockey. 
And you said that it's actually a Tito's vodka shirt. And I just thought, man, of course, of course. So I appreciate, don't think my listeners and I don't appreciate the extra effort you're going to, to uh, dress appropriately for these audio only interviews. Well, that, well, that's it. I mean, I'm really thinking about this. I'm like, okay, I don't just want to show up for the interview. I want to do something special. So I'm like, okay, I got to wear my Tito's, you know, brazenly orange, crazy shirt. So, okay, I got my Tito's golf shirt. And then, well, I want to be drinking Tito's while I'm doing this. And <laughs> I want to be drinking Tito's in a Cleveland Browns cup. That's right. So, and we have that in the picture, right? The, the, if there was a golden trifecta or whatever you call it, I think I hit it. I don't, I don't think a lot of people put that much thought into what just happened on the show. So, so, you know, uh, once again, Joe Polizzi over delivering, uh, giving thoughtful consideration to uh, to to uh, preparing for this interview. So I just want to read a quick excerpt from the beginning of this. The arrival of COVID-19 and the subsequent pandemic has changed the world as we know it. Its path of destruction is leveling every part of our lives from the health of our loved ones to the economic viability of our businesses. As for marketing professionals, there are two camps. The first camp goes something like this. Be calm and just make it through this however you can. It doesn't matter how you get through it. Just make it through day by day. If you have to drink chocolate syrup out of the bottle and wear the same underwear for four days straight, then do it. Surviving this until we return to normal is the key. <clears throat> and I should add that you were clearly describing me. I, I don't know how you knew that I've been drinking chocolate <laughs> syrup out of a bottle and wearing the same underwear for multiple days. Okay, so the second camp goes something like this. Even though this is horrible, we have been given a chance to create or do something amazing. In some strange way, we have been given a gift. Now is the time. Don't waste this opportunity. Also, this may be the new normal for a while. This condensed book Corona marketing is squarely focused on the second camp. And then you go on to have a Corona checklist, which has uh, 13 items on there. Folks can download it to see what they all are. Some of this you've reprised things that you've been saying for uh, 10 years, or I guess you've been in content marketing even, even longer than that. But for somebody who's just tuned in, and maybe a lot of people that listen to this show have suddenly been thrust into a marketing role. Remind <laughs> folks what content marketing is. Well, co basically content marketing is creating something truly valuable to a very targeted audience and you're going to help change their life and you're going to do it on a regular basis. Similar to what you do with your podcast, Douglas. I mean, what we're trying to do is instead of interrupting people, we're trying to give them gifts of content. If we build a loyal relationship with those people over time, they're going to reward us by buying our products and services. Content marketing has been around for hundreds of hundreds of years. Uh, and now we have this amazing opportunity where, by the way, as you mentioned, there's horrible things going on right now. I don't think we can discount that at all. But at the same time, when you have great pain like we're seeing right now, there's also great opportunity. And so what we're seeing in a lot of companies from a marketing perspective, a lot of them are just battening down the hatches. They're saying, okay, we're going to cut marketing. We're going to, we're just going to try to wait this out best we can. And I understand that there's some companies that are in that position and that's all they can do, but a lot of them are not in that position. On the other side, you could take the mentality where, wow, we have this opportunity right now to communicate with audiences that need our information that we can deliver to them. 
And what I loved, and we talked about this in, in the book, Anheuser Bush's CMO came out and said, this is in March, said basically, we have to cut back on advertising because right now advertising doesn't really work for us. What we want to focus on is communicating directly with our audiences and try to deliver value. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's, you know, one of the greatest advertisers in the world, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, top five Anheuser-Busch. They're coming out saying, you know, we really need to focus on content marketing right now. We really need to focus on creating, building, and growing our audiences. And that's that's where we're at right now. And Douglas, I think you, I mean, you know this, we built Content Marketing Institute through the Great Recession. And I talk about that a lot in the book. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing right now are the same mistakes that people made back from 2007 to 2010. And I don't want to see anybody else make those mistakes. So I talk about the 13 things I think that people should be doing right now so that when we do come out of this, whenever that is, uh, you'll be really positioned to be a part of a great organization that's doing amazing and innovative things. Um, So that's where I think the opportunity is at. Absolutely. And let me quote from the book. You say, now is the time when the greatest businesses of the next decade will be built. Now is the time when the most innovative companies take market share from those who are just holding on. So you talked about content marketing being around for hundreds of years. Explain what you mean when you say that we are now entering the third stage of content marketing. (laughs) Um, So if you think about you know, going back to, uh, you know, the days of when, you know, there's examples of Ben Franklin using, uh, you know, their, his printing press to, you know, creating books to sell more printing press opportunities. Or Richard's Almanac. Yeah, it was, absolutely. Thank you. Um, you could talk about. I remember reading as a kid. I, I knew Ben Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> so this is not new when, to me. Please go ahead. Yeah. Whether you look at Jello back in the 1900s or the Sear, or Sears or the Michelin guide, I mean, lots of very old examples of content marketing being used. The difference when you get, when you came into, let's say back to nine 11, that's where I would say right after that was the first stage of content marketing. There weren't a lot of people. No, they did you know, you called it custom publishing, customer media, custom media. If you did it, you did an internal communication initiative, internal newsletter, maybe a newsletter to your uh, customers. You really didn't think about it as a marketing thing. But after 9-11, when we hit a little bit of a, of a recession and advertising budgets were cut, you started to see, oh, okay, this is an actual viable option for marketing. And you started to see Google and search engines come around. And then you started to see the dawn of social media. And companies started to say, hey, we actually need to create content for these channels. We actually want to be found. Well, how are you found? You better create valuable, relevant, compelling content. So that was the first stage. The second stage started in, you know, Started on April 2nd, 2007, when New Century Financial declared bankruptcy. That was the start of the Great Recession. Just happens to be a coincidence that we started Content Marketing Institute on that exact day, which I think is so funny that that actually happened. Yes, the, the uh, time, your timing is excellent. And I know I started <laughs> my firm in the 2001, two, two months before 9-11. So there's, mm-hmm. we just have this prescient ability, Joe. We don't know what we're doing, of course, but we... <laughs> Our timing is impeccable, but that's also when tragedies. Yeah, yeah, when Lehman Brothers uh, went out of business. Exactly, Um, and so right after you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, again you've got companies that are cutting back advertising, and then now social media is really starting to kick in, 
and you're seeing companies say, oh, this is a re- this is really something like w- content marketing became a thing. People started to use the term in 2010, 2011. And that was what I would call the second stage of content marketing, where it actually became a discipline. Now we're in the third stage of content marketing where it's maybe I think, you know, of course, I'm biased. But I think it's the it's the biggest opportunity in marketing right now. It's we we are in the business of audience building, and because you've got consumers out there that don't want to be pitched products and services right now, um, they really do are going through dire straits. They have a lot of pain, and we can solve that in a lot of cases through the information we send. And that's where I think the opportunity is at right now with the third stage of content marketing. Absolutely. I just want to pick out a couple of other things from the ebook to ask you about. I think sure. it's a great reminder for folks, but also, you know, maybe maybe they'll be surprised what explain what you mean when you advise people to focus on the believers. Now, if if you have a choice of targeting an audience, what you want to focus on is is not the wide widest audience possible. What you really want to focus on are those people that are already loyal to you or your core customers or people that already know you and really solidify that audience from a loyal standpoint. So we're, what a lot of people will do when they start a content marketing initiative, they want to go wide. They want to say, okay, well, well we want to, you know, we want to target pet owners, let's say. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say, no, you really don't. That's way too broad. You're not going to become the leading expert in anything if you're just targeting pet owners. And I don't care if you're Petco or PetSmart. It's very difficult to do that, even with a multi-million dollar budget. But what if you said, oh, we want to tar- target pet owners who live in the Southeast that like to travel with their pets in recreational vehicles? Let's say that's your that's your true believer audience. Those are the people that buy your products. Those are whatever. Those that's how niche I want to get. You really want to focus on a defined audience, and instead of going out wide and going way out into the prospect area, really focus on solidifying your core customers, solidifying that niche audience, and then once you have that under control, then then maybe you know in six months, twelve months, eighteen months, then you can broaden that out. But now is really the time to focus on the people that know you, that get you, and you know, build that army with the people that you don't have to sell to. And then from that point, those people will help share your message out, and those people will help you, in, you know, to take your content marketing initiative to the next level. I don't think I've seen too many examples where it's too much of a niche for somebody that's trying to build an audience. I haven't either, and that's where you, know, you and I have talked about this before. You can't get too niche when you're looking at your target audience. You just can't because you want, what you want to do is you, when you go and you look at your content mission statement, when the first part is who are you targeting in that, you want to say, well, can, or ask the question, can we actually be the leading experts in the world at this? And if the answer is no, or you, your team laughs and like, oh, of course not, you know, then you've got a problem. Because it's already so competitive. How are you going to cut through all that clutter? So you really want to focus on an audience that's small enough that you can actually be the dominant voice. And then from there, you can always expand. It's very hard to go from a big audience to a small audience. You want to take it from a small audience. And actually, a really good example of that happening in pop culture right now is Schitt's Creek. Anybody's listened or watched that show, I think it was on for six seasons. Schitt's Creek went from a very, very small targeted niche audience 
and blew up into this, you know, international sensation, but they started very small and focusing on a very particular kind of, of a person that likes to watch entertainment. And now they became this huge thing. So look at that kind of an effort and go from small to big instead of big to nothing. Mm-hmm. And in answer to the listener's uh, unstated comment, Joe is talking about a word that has the word C in it. So he's not swearing, okay? It's S-C-H-I-T-T, if I'm not mistaken, Joe. That's right. Yes, we're not swearing. (laughs) S-C-H-I-T-T apostrophe S. Right. So this is a family show. Yes. So nobody, yeah, there was was, was no curse words used. A family show about two middle-aged men who are drinking during the day on a Wednesday afternoon. But... uh, (laughs) But it's for professional reasons. So exactly, we're allowed. Yeah. So you talked about the mission statement. Um, I I had a chuckle when you talked about how marketing professionals get so fixated on channels that they often have no clue of the underlying reason why they should use a particular channel in the first place. Um, I've heard Nick Westergaard refer to that as check the box marketing. Can you just remind us what a the content marketing mission is, and feel free to use Andy Crestadina's uh, definition. Yeah, but basically, all you want to do is you want to focus on who the audience is, ultimately what you're going to deliver to them, and then they want to focus on okay, well, what's in it for the audience? What's the outcome? So you want to say, okay, well, I'm targeting. Let's say you're targeting uh, engineers, and you're going to deliver. Uh, the the latest information and trends about soldering for engineers, and you're going to do so on a consistent basis. And the goal is that ultimately you're going to help uh, these engineers be more successful at their job in some way. So obviously that's a horrible mission statement, but you'd get that you'd you'd work that with your team and get that down to all right. This is a mission statement that we can actually do because we have the expertise and our audience has those pain points and informational needs. So what you really want to do is focus on that. And then I always say you take that mission statement, and then you tilt it. So you, you look at it and I, I use that uh, term content tilt. Content tilt. Yeah. Explain what that is. And well, I, I took that directly out of uh, the matrix. So if you remember the part in the matrix with Keanu Reeves, he just started, he's starting to figure out that he's the one and he's sitting next to the the little child who bends the spoon. If you remember that. And Keanu didn't see the spoon bending until he tilted his head. And basically he just, he has had, had to look at that spoon a little bit differently. So what you do is you take your content mission statement and you look at it a little bit differently because Probably that mission statement alone isn't gonna isn't going to cut through all the clutter. You've got to you've got to tilt a little bit. You've got to get that content tilt, and you've got to say, what is what's something that is so different out there that that we can actually take advantage of a content gap and exploit that so that people actually pay attention and can get a hold of this content. So how do you differentiate that in some way? So you might do that as we talked about through audience. You had a great example. You're not not just pet owners. It's something really obscure. You might do it through platform. Maybe all of your competition out there is, is uh, doing videos and you said, hey, there's an opportunity to do a podcast. So you're going to differentiate yourself on a platform. Or you know maybe it's the personality of the host you're going to do that by, or maybe it's the story positioning. For example, you know when we launched Content Marketing Institute, 
everyone called it custom publishing and custom media and customer media. We just came out and said, we're going to call it content marketing now. We have, of course, we did some research, but I think it's because we called it content marketing was one of the main reasons we were successful. We positioned it differently. So there's a lot of things. And by the way, HubSpot did that with inbound marketing brilliantly as well. And with the color orange as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of similarities between. My, probably a different uh, Pantone color, of course, I realize. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, those are the things we want to look at. So we can't just go out and say, oh, this is what we want to talk about. Here's the pain points of our customers. Uh, and here's what we're good at talking about done. You've really got to take a strategic approach to it. Yeah. The content tilt is that area of little to no competition on the web that actually gives you a fighter's chance of breaking through and becoming relevant. Joe Polizzi, in this book, you talk about internal marketing. Why do you argue that internal marketing is more important than ever right now? My uh, One of my mentors is Don Schultz, uh, professor emeritus at Northwestern uh, Medill School of Journalism. And I'm a big follower of his. And he's all, he always taught me, he said, when you have a choice to market externally or internally, you always start internally. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, why is that? Well, the reason is, is because, first of all, your most important marketers if you do this right, should be your employees. So what you have to do first and foremost is communicate with your employees. So first of all, they understand what you're trying to do in the first place. Second of all, so they understand the mission and the vision behind the organization so they can communicate that more effectively. If your employees don't understand the mission and the vision of what you're trying to do from a marketing perspective, how do you expect your customers to understand that? So this is right now is a great time that you can focus on how do I, how are we communicating with our employees? How are we are we you working with HR? Are there things that you can do? It should it be a newsletter, a Slack channel? I don't care what it is, but how how can you communicate with the sales team so they use all that marketing content that you're creating? So a lot of things that you can do. But what organizations aren't doing is they're not communicating very well with their employees. And now more than ever, especially with all this chaos going on, if I had a choice, I'm going to say, well, I'm going to put off a lot of that external marketing and I'm going to focus on internal marketing. Mm -hmm. And then probably after that, I would say, all right, if we got that covered sufficiently, let's talk now to our customers (laughs) directly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But see, and that's it. The employees will help that that message spread. Yeah. Because once you start getting that information out, and from especially from a sales perspective, you're creating all this content from a marketing standpoint, and the sales team doesn't understand what you're trying to do. What a missed opportunity that is. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 help the sales team uh be those you know help you with your job, but you have to communicate with them first. So Joe Polizzi, you've co-authored a book called Killing Marketing. And you've written a mystery novel called The Will to Die, which I recommend. (laughs) So I have to ask you to explain the section of your book on killing social channels. (laughs) I know. You know, there's a trend here. I don't know if it's positive. Yeah, it's a trend that it hits you in the head with a two by four. Yeah. Um, So... Killing social channels? What? What do you mean? Especially now. Absolutely. Uh, we have way too many social channels. Back to your Nick Westergaard, check the box 
uh, we we got involved in every social media channel. Um, we had this belief that we had to be everywhere our customers are at, even though they you know they may not be that many of them in certain channels. Uh, we need to be on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and God help us all TikTok <laughs> or whatever you're doing, right? Yeah. Um, we have too many things going on. And if you look at the really uh, successful content platforms, they generally have two feeding in. And in, in the book, I talk about Joe Rogan's podcast, which by the way, he just had a great deal with Spotify. hundred million dollars. Yeah, exactly. He just exclusive deal to distribute on Spotify. Wow. But, it's it's but, almost as if he just sold the content marketing Institute to somebody. <laughs> it's What's amazing with him from a social media standpoint is he said, okay, I'm all in on Twitter. I'm all in on Facebook, but we're not going to do TikTok. We're not going to do Instagram. You know, we're going to do what we can do really well and we're going to forget the rest. Right. And as marketers, that's exactly the advice we want to follow. What can, what do you have the resources to be really good at that you have strategies behind that you're trying to deliver on? And if you're just experimenting with certain things because you feel you should be there or whatever, it's probably not the right time. So I, what I recommend is list all the social channels you're at. First of all, figure out what is the strategy? Why are you there? How are you going to measure that? Uh, and, you know, are you delivering on those? And the ones you're not delivering on, you have to make a decision. Okay, are you going to put the resources to it so that it moves up a notch and you're actually delivering on those things? Or maybe you need to kill it. And when Robert Rose and I would go in and we do, you know, content and social media audits with these large enterprises, we never went in and would recommended them do more stuff. We always went in and said, you got to kill that podcast. You got to get rid of that social channel. You got to get rid of all these things because what you need is focus. You really need to focus on delivering amazing things to this audience. And there's no way you can be exceptional when you're going in a thousand directions at once. So in the section on uh, email newsletters, which I'm a big fan of, and they seem to be misunderstood, um, you talk about subscribers and you say that not all subscribers are created equal, which I think a lot of uh, marketers may not understand, or at least the companies that they work for don't. Explain what you mean when you more or less say that not all subscribers uh, are created equal or which subscribers are perhaps more equal than others? <laughs> so, so I, I've been using this uh, subscriber hierarchy. Uh, I call it the <laughs> yay it. boo scale. I love it. Which I have fun with, which is in the book. Yeah. Yep. And and uh, I have fun with this. Now, that's the, basically, the paid version of the book. They're going to pay extra. <laughs> that one, right? at, the, at the top of the subscriber hierarchy, you have email. And second to that is print. And then it falls down. And basically, all the other ones are just below those two. And. It includes Facebook fans way at the bottom and you have YouTube there down toward the bottom. And basically what that means is if you build followers or subscribers or connections on those channels, you don't have any control over those. Those are that's rented land that you're building your platforms on and they don't belong to you. You're, you're renting them out right now. They belong to Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn, which by the way is not necessarily bad because if you're building a content platform and your audience, let's say, is on YouTube, the best place to start your platform might be on YouTube. But then you have to have some kind of a strategy to move those followers and subscribers on YouTube over to something that you have more control over, a la email. Mm -hmm. So that's what we always talk about is that 
that not all subscribers are equal. All these other social media subscribers that you have, they the you the rights to those can be taken away at any time. And should I even bring up Google Plus? Mm-hmm. I mean, we we that happened where we all built our platforms on Google Plus, and we, some organizations had millions of followers on their Google Plus platforms, and then Google comes along and says, "Oh, we're done. We're going to kill it." I invested my life savings in Google Plus. <laughs> Bad move. <laughs> So that's the point. And YouTube can take away your rights at any time. We know this has been happening. This should this should not be a, a surprise to you. So let's prepare now. And if you're using those channels, make sure you set up strategies so that we are getting the data from our customers. Of course, permission-based data. That's why I love double opt-in newsletters where you're, you know, they're, they know what they're subscribing to and they get uh, they check the box and they say, yes, you can send me information. And that's what we want to get to. And Email is my favorite subscribership. And even print is great today because if you give away a free print magazine, people give away a lot of their information. That they want to give away that because they see value in what you're delivering to them. So those are the two that I still love and would like to be focused on. And uh, just be careful with those social media connections. Yes, I think that uh, the problem may be in part that TikTok or whatever tomorrow's social media platform is seems sexy and email is like boring old email i'll take it all day long those email subscribers uh in fact at the end of the book you were talking about and we won't have time to go into this but about how you might even want to be buying some media properties uh, certain organizations and you have lots of examples of that in uh, killing marketing uh, amongst other things and in that part of the book you were talking about well when you buy this thing how many email subscribers do they have <laughs> That's worth quite a bit. That's right. That's right. I mean, when you do an analysis, I mean, I've been through a, a number of M&A transactions on the publishing side, and you look at the value, and generally you look at, okay, well, what's the multiple times EBITDA or multiple times revenue? But sometimes you can't do that. So you look at, okay, what's the value of a subscriber? So it's very important when you're looking at analysis that you say, okay, well, what's their, what subscribers do they have? What, how many print subscribers? How many email subscribers? And then secondarily, you can look at social media connections, which aren't as important. But email subscribers are critically important and very valuable. And a lot of them will be up for sale in the next six to 12 months in your industry. And you should be looking for those opportunities. Yes. And that's why they're looking at email subscribers and the nature by which they got those email subscribers and probably a lot less at how many Instagram followers you have. Joe Polizzi, last question. Okay. Content marketing programs fail sometimes, but it's not usually because the content marketing programs aren't working. Why do they fail? <laughs> They most likely fail because somebody in your organization that owns the purse strings to your budget has no clue what you're doing. So that's why if you're going to run a content marketing program, you better have a very good understanding of how you're going to communicate the value of what you're trying to do to probably your chief marketing officer and your financial person, accounting person as well. Because when times like these come along, Programs get cut, and we've seen it happen time and again. I've seen, I've been involved in programs that are very successful. They're building audiences, they're throwing off revenue of all kinds, but things get cut in tough times, um, no matter if they're working or not. So it's your responsibility to set the correct expectations and for your um, people that are in charge of the budget to understand what you're doing, 
Give them the one page. Don't make it two pages. Give them a one page report. And this is what you're trying to do. Send them regular updates and communicate with them the value of content marketing from your perspective. And that's why things stick around. And uh, the only reason I had a job at Pet Media for so long in custom media was because I did that because nobody else really understood the practice. And we're still running into that in enterprises around the world today where people don't understand that audience building and content marketing is critical to marketing. And until we get there, that it's just, that's what it is. We have to educate our way out of this. And on page 11 of the book, you actually have an example from a, a company that sells its um, soldering equipment, I believe. Soldering equipment. Yeah. That's right. Where it shows an example of the one page uh, document that you should be sharing. If your purse string holder does not understand the value, that is not the purse string holder's problem. That's not their fault. You need to make sure. You know what? This applies to beyond just content marketing. If you're a marketer. It's everything, right? Yeah, Any strategic your, approach. Your yeah, first string right. holder doesn't understand this. Your C-suite doesn't understand it. That's not their problem. Uh, That's the more right. that you're able and, to and do it, that, And it doesn't. The thing is, is that these are just, this is just strategy 101, Douglas. You know that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of marketers don't do that because- they might have not not come from you know taking any kind of strategic courses or having the right mentors. So this is just basic things that you have to do for survival in marketing today. Right. And uh, it also underscores the concept I learned about in 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader of the most important, one of the most important things marketers can do is get in the revenue camp. That minority of marketers who the C-suite and the purse string holders understand that you understand the financial realities of your company. So Joe, remind listeners where they can download this free ebook. It's free for marketing book podcast listeners, but everyone else has to pay, right? <laughs> we did a special deal. Exactly. Just for you. Just go to coronamarketingbook.com. So go to coronamarketingbook.com and you'll be taken to a landing page and you can sign up and get the uh, get the book. And I, what is it? You said 46, 47 pages. Quick read. I uh, tried to just make it super helpful, 13 different points, and uh, I hope people find value in it. Well, I'm sure they will, and I think they're going to be able to help them for uh, managing things internally, coronamarketingbook.com, but they can also go to joepolizzi.com and subscribe to your newsletter. They can do that as well. Uh, they can, Yeah, if you want to have fun just going through thousands of pieces of different content on content marketing, you can go to joepolitzy.com <laughs> and I have lots of different offers. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess if, if just sign up for the, for the book right now. And if you like it, then you can try some other things. Okay, super. Well, Joe, thank you and thank uh, Pam again for uh, allowing <laughs> you to come on uh, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. And I hope that you and your family continue to stay safe and healthy and sane. Same to you, my friend. And if I'm on for a third time, we've got problems. (laughs) 